You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Big Show Hour 4 rolling on here. I'm Patrick Dumas. I got Alex Brody along with me as well. Continue our football conversation here. We'll go down the Atlas Pizza Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, friend of the show, Peter Galindo. Does a lot of things for Sportsnet, writing about Canada soccer. He's got the Northern Football Podcast as well. Peter, thank you so much for joining me on this Tuesday. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, lots, uh, lots happening uh, in the world of uh, of Canada soccer. We'll start with uh, with the national teams. Uh, Nick Bontis, uh, the former president, stepping down. A new interpresident for Canada soccer, Charmaine Crooks. Let's just say the women's national team is less than impressed with that change at the top. Yeah, and I can see why, because, look, I mean, Charmaine Crooks could end up being a a solid enough interim president. She might be able to right the ship in some ways, but she is still part of the past regime because she is the vice president or was the vice president under Nick Bontis. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be that perception of, well, is really much going to change? Since then, yes, we know that they've since struck a deal in principle on, on a CBA, which will include certain bonuses being paid out for future matches, which is pretty standard across the men's and women's game. But there is still a lot of work left to be done. And that's why initially when the news of Bontis' resignation hit, I thought to myself, well, what really will change? Because sure, maybe the players don't have respect for him and that can interfere with certain talks and whatnot but keep in mind too the general secretary earl cochran is the one running point on those negotiations along with the legal teams um so bondas doesn't really have too much say anyways and given the other issues we see within canada soccer i do think it goes much further than the president but uh, i can definitely see why the the players are, are at least skeptical of uh, crooks coming in on an interim basis now uh, the women they'll be uh, they'll be going in front of the heritage uh, committee in Parliament here. Uh, I believe tomorrow. I believe is when they see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now right. now all they they'll be they'll be wanting to find out what's more into the the dealings with Canada soccer and and Canada soccer business. Now what does that maybe mean to the CPL? It, it just feels like I get a vibe just from 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 fans from everything that, 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 that there's a there's a disconnect between the the, the national team and the domestic league in this country. I think so. And I remember back in 2018 when the deal was signed. And even if you just do a Twitter search back then, right around March 2018 of Canadian soccer business, the reaction was almost universally positive. But there was one article written by Bobby McMahon and Forbes, and he asked a a very pertinent question. And that was, will there end up being a conflict of interest between Canada's National League and the national sporting body? And it was a fair question because at the end of the day, if you have CPL owners who are maybe looking to not line their pockets, but let's say mitigate their losses, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, these aren't billionaires that they will, especially in a new league and a, and a new soccer league at that in Canada, you're going to expect losses in the first few years. So how can we mitigate that? And are we actually going to, to really have, Canada soccer's best interests in mind because outside of certain former national team players like Rob Friend, Josh Simpson, and the like, a lot of those owners maybe aren't soccer people. So Mm. are they really going to have Canada soccer's priorities in mind? Probably not. And so I think if, and certainly 
you can expect the Heritage Committee to look into this. If they see anything that could be deemed fishy, um, it would be somewhat terrible news for the CBL yeah. because it is quite integral to the growth of the game. In fact, we wouldn't be co-hosting a World Cup if it wasn't for the CPL because FIFA does require the host countries to have domestic leagues. Mm -hmm. So if the CPL didn't exist, we would not be co-hosting a World Cup. Simple as that. Now, like, what what would should there be? What should we find between the dealings? Is it more like is the revenue that they've made with Canada Soccer trickling down to the CPL and supporting those clubs, and not so much helping out the domestic teams? I, pretty much that would be the crux of the issue, yeah, I would imagine, because if you look at the financial reports from 2021, which is the most recent one I believe you can find, um, the commercial and other quote-unquote revenues, and they do define what other revenues is, it's not a whole lot, uh, it's maybe $500,000 otherwise, but the commercial revenues in 2021 for Canada Soccer were about $18.5 million. That was a year before they qualified for the World Cup. So imagine what it would be after that. And so let's just say that the $3 million that Canadian soccer business pays to Canada Soccer every year as part of their deal comes straight out of that commercial revenue. That means that Canada Soccer is missing out on $15 million at least in, in that revenue stream. And then that money goes to Canadian soccer business and then you would imagine that, I mean, at least this is the hope, I, I suppose, if, if you're a CPL fan, that it's at least going to the league and those clubs and trying mm -hmm. to build out the league and the sport in this country. That is the hope. And I think that is really what the crux of the issue here is going to be, is just finding financial transparency. Where exactly is that money going? Because the money is there. But I think that this has really been driving the whole negotiation and, and really been... I think motivating the players is, well, where is this money going? Like, sure, maybe we're not getting our cut, but we just want to know where that this is ending yeah. up. Just transparency at the end of the day. That is really, I think, what is, is trying to be searched for here. Uh, should there be any concern? We heard about uh, the Canadian women in their, in their preparations and they were playing friendlies in Brazil, that they had a private donor support most of their costs that they needed to go to travel mm -hmm. down to Brazil. Uh, should there be more concerns... Uh, you know, we're only four months from them going to the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, and they've got a, a really important window here in April. Is there any more concern that will they even have enough preparation time and, and the money and the funding to get to where they want to be this July? If, if we go by the statement recently from the men's and women's national team players, they are at the very least positive in terms of they're getting a little extra funding now i know ge just donated 100 grand i believe in sponsorship exactly yeah yeah exactly so th there are i don't think it's as i guess as much of a hot button topic anymore but mm -hmm. i mean that issue is still going to persist because okay sure let's say they get the funding leading up to the world cup they play the world cup they get the fifa windfalls from that what's going to happen after that mm -hmm. <laughs> because because there's still an olympic cycle to, to look forward to right after that and so and that's actually coming up pretty much right after the world cup in a lot of ways yeah. so th that's going to be a real issue as well and and i think that a lot of people are, are rightly asking that question as well is this something to be concerned about and they do have 
currently anyways, a friendly match scheduled against France in April. Yep. Um, and France themselves are actually going through a, a lot of turmoil themselves mm-hmm. within their federation in the women's program. Um, so in a lot of ways, I guess that's a perfect matchup. But <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, like that's being scheduled. And sure, that's great. But is that match actually going to happen? We don't know. And even on, guys, even on the men's side, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we, we, we saw, I, I remember it was after... Canada beat Jamaica to qualify for the World Cup officially. And we were on the pitch speaking to John Herdman after the fact. And he was reflecting on the journey and and just the accomplishment in general. And he told us a story about how in January 2021, and keep in mind this is the pandemic, so maybe this is part of the reason why, but he said he had to go, and I'm quoting him verbatim, verbatim here, knock on doors to find money for a national team camp in in January to make sure that he could see certain players see see their mm-hmm. progress because qualifying was going to happen two months in, in, in two months time from that point. Yeah. So the fact that he had to go around and essentially beg for money kind of goes to show you what the state of the federation was even just a couple of years ago on the men's and the women's side. Yeah, it's 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 just it's fascinating how Canada soccer has let this thing because it, it, it's not like they they they, they saw they, they must have saw this coming like they they like we, they were, the the World Cup was not awarded to them just four years ago they knew this was coming it just feels like they they were not prepared enough to deal with what was going to happen like they didn't they didn't almost didn't have the faith that the men and women could take their programs where they could be. Yeah, that's that's exactly correct. And I, Herdman himself said this in June when the initial dispute started with the men, at least. Um, and I think he's honestly 100% right. I don't think anybody from the teams to the players to the federation could have even expected that 2022 qualification was going to happen. And I think that really accelerated the issues because this Mm -hmm. was going to be a problem regardless but i think the federation anticipated maybe them having to to talk about this and say 2024 2025 Mm -hmm. as opposed to 2022 um and and so that kind of i think fast-tracked it and and look i mean that's great because you get some of that fifa windfall early but then at the end of the day um you then have to split it with the players. And if that's your main revenue stream, because the commercial revenue is being taken from CSB, then you have a whole other issue on your hands. So, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, nobody was prepared for what was about to happen in terms of Canada qualifying for a men's world cup. Talking with Peter Galindo uh, from the Northern football podcast. Also does some writing uh, for sportsnet.ca. Your Canadians abroad roundup. That's another series you do has returned. Uh, Jonathan David, maybe the goals aren't there so far as the calendar turned to 2023, but he's becoming more of a rounded player. Who else is having a good time out there uh, uh, for Canadians? I know uh, Alistair Johnson just scored a goal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk about uh, some of the great Canucks happening uh, around uh, in Europe's top leagues. Yeah, I mean, obviously those two are are, are top of mind. Uh, Johnson's really the one that's the most intriguing to me because I feel like he embodies what Canadian soccer is in this new generation in that this new group of players, say 25 and under, they have this, I don't want to call it cockiness, but they have this confidence about them. Mm -hmm. And and yet they can also be humble. And so that's why when they go from, and I mean, in Johnson's case, he went from league one, Ontario to college to MLS now to one of the biggest clubs in the world in Celtic, where he's probably going to be playing champions league next year. He's already winning trophies and he's already made such a massive impact there. Um, defensively, we know that he is a very solid defender, and that's really how he cracked his way into the national team in the first place. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the offensive traits that he's gaining over the last few weeks that are really standing out here. 
really he could have had probably two assists in the league cup final against Rangers. Um, he, he's been averaging, I think it's a couple of, a, a couple of shot assists every week over the last four or five games now, mm-hmm. um, which is just unheard of for him and his crossings improving, his visions improving. And you can just see he's gaining more confidence on the ball in those situations. And that bodes well for the national team, because then he can be utilized further in that, in that way. Um, outside of Johnson and David, you've got Kyle Lahren, who, yes, maybe he hasn't scored over the last couple of games, but he's taken very well in La Liga. Um, they're utilizing him properly as a target man who can you know, receive the ball, wait for his teammates to kind of join him, and then he can play off of them very intricately and then find his way into the box. Because if Kyle Lahren is playing regularly and he is confident, mm-hmm. and I know that this is probably the case for every athlete, he is superb to watch and that is exactly what's happening right now in La Liga with Real Valladolid and that's very encouraging to see because really outside of David and Laren none of the other forwards are necessarily sparkling for him. Lucas Cavallini scored recently, Ike Ubo finally scored after a, a, a long drought and, and he hasn't been playing much in France so the fact that those two are fit and firing and are in form is quite encouraging looking ahead to the March window. Uh, a couple former uh, Calvary FC players are bringing a local feel uh, to it, uh, having a, a pretty good go of it right now. One having an impact in Scotland and one a little closer to home, uh, playing with the Columbus crew out in MLS. But talk about Victor Latoury at Ross County and uh, and Mo Farsi uh, with the crew. Yeah, they're they're both looking very solid. And in, in the case of Farsi to start the season, in the case of Latoury continuing his mm-hmm. season. Um, it wouldn't shock me at all if Loturi ended up getting a call-up at some point in March, maybe at the very latest around the Gold Cup, because this is actually yeah. kind of what happened in 2021 with another uh, former Ross County midfielder and Harry Payton. Mm-hmm. Um, he got a call-up in 2021 for the Gold Cup, his first call-up after a pretty solid season at the same club. Uh, but Loturi is, I think he's everything that Canada would want in a midfielder in that he has the defensive acumen. He works hard off the ball, but he is just so good on the ball and so calm on it. Um, and, and considering he's playing for a relegation candidate, yeah. that is what really stands out more because he goes up against Rangers who, I mean, clearly have like 10 times the budget that Ross County has. Yeah. But he is just, he rises up to the challenge and he shines in it. So I'm very encouraged to see what happens with him over the next few months. Um, and then Mo Farsi, Look, there are going to be some learning curves. He is still, I think, adapting to the pace of play of MLS. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be fair, he's already made improvements this week compared to last week. Defensively, he's actually looked very good, which was probably one of his weaker points when he was at Cavalry. So that's obviously a, a very good thing. And the fact that he's being coached by Wilfred Nancy, who uh, obviously had a very big impact on Alistair Johnson's rise at yeah. Montreal. Um, that really bodes well for him. So two uh, Calvary alumni looking very, very good so far. I love to see it. Love to see it. Uh, MLS, they're uh, through two weeks uh, in their season, and it's not the best of times for the Canadian contingent. TFC blowing leads in their first two matches. They are also out. Uh, Insignia is going to be missing some time as well. Uh, Whitecaps, they are losing late. And, of course, CF Montreal still in search for their first goal. What have you made of the struggles from the three Canadian MLS clubs? I feel like they're all unique yeah. in that Toronto is just, I feel their biggest problem is they just don't have any depth. And the fact that they are an older squad doesn't help with that because sure. Fair enough. If you want to throw out, you know, your 30, 31 year old players and run them out there for 60 minutes and then bring on maybe three or four substitutes who can, I, I guess, get you over the hump. Fair enough. But 
they're just they're not able to really close out games very well and you can see that there are certain areas of that team where they, they just lack a little bit of of impetus and intensity mm-hmm. um you know adama diomande he's 32 now i think almost 33 in fact Oof. hasn't played really consistently in a couple of years he's gonna have to shake off some rust michael bradley very good on the ball off the ball if you ask him to cover too much ground that's when he can get stretched um the defense is on the slightly older side as well which that's kind of concerning look first 11 versus first 11 they can make an impact in the league but when you start to see you know atlanta and you start to see dc making these changes and bringing on this, this youthful exuberance that's when you start to see the the difference in what depth can provide you montreal i think it's just a case of i think just cutting out certain mistakes and to be fair last year the first couple months of the season, they were committing all sorts of errors, building up in the back, just sloppy in possession. Um, and they did lose a couple of key pieces, yes, but they do have a fair amount of the core still together for now. So I feel like it's just a case of maybe just shaking off some of the rust. Joe Waterman's been out, another former mm-hmm. Calgary alumni. I think he's pretty crucial to, to what they do, especially building from the back and just the overall defensive structure. So I think once he comes back, a lot of their issues will be corrected. Vancouver, they just got to close out games. Yeah. It's very simple. <laughs> so the first hour to 70 minutes, they look absolutely exhilarating. They can't get that crucial second goal. And then their aerial weaknesses are exposed, especially in, in this past game, and they end up losing. So it's really just a case of, you know, and, and I always hate to lean on this, but it's always those little details that sometimes let you down, but they are important, as, as we've seen with all three of the, of the MLS clubs. Uh, we'll, we'll shift it over to the Premier League for my last one. What did you make of this slaughter at Anfield? Uh, Liverpool's biggest win ever over Manchester United, 7-0. I don't think anybody saw that coming. <laughs> Especially where United's literally. coming off League Cup win, FA yeah. Cup win, and then this. <laughs> Yeah, and especially when you look at the first half compared to the second half. Like, the first half was very, very tight. Mm -hmm. Both teams were exchanging chances. Um, Did they look, you know, in top form? No, like there were certain sloppy errors committed from both teams. But, I mean, all of a sudden, it's like as soon as Liverpool scored that second goal right after the second half, United just capitulated. Um, And and Anfield, you know, you you tend to see that with some opposing teams, unless you're Real Madrid, apparently. (laughs) Um, So I I guess they can't be too too surprised that maybe United can come back and win, but to go on and compete another five goals after that. Yeah. That is, uh, look, we'll we'll obviously find out what what the club is made of from here, because this is really going to be yet another litmus test. And so far they've been able to, to pass a lot of them, but this is going to be one of the biggest ones, Jack, is getting pasted by your fierce rivals away from home. That's going to set you back a little bit, um, especially considering that Liverpool really up until this game in the league, maybe aside, hadn't been yeah. the most consistent over the last few months, really all season. Yeah, Manchester United will get ready for their uh, first leg of their Europa League round of 16 against Real Betis on Thursday. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Peter, for all this. Uh, where can we find your work? Yeah, so you can find it on uh, pretty much anywhere. <laughs> Sportsnet, uh, NLS, the Canadians Abroad Roundups have returned to Canadian Soccer Daily. I recommend checking it out for all of your daily Canadian soccer news and analysis. And then the Northern Football Podcast. We're actually going to have uh, Liberal MP Anthony Housefather, who's the leader of the Heritage Committee, on the podcast Ooh. this week to discuss the Canada soccer, Canada soccer business 
dispute. So uh, we'll try to get some answers there. So stay tuned for that one coming out on uh, Wednesday morning. All right. Cannot wait for that one. Uh, Thank you so much, Peter. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. We'll do this again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. There you go. That's Peter Galindo. You can follow him on Twitter as well at Galindo PW. Uh, the Canada's women's national team will uh, will sit in front of the uh, Heritage Committee uh, on March 9th. Not tomorrow, March 9th. Uh, they will do uh, their little deep dive into what's going on with the Senator Canada soccer dispute and uh, what else is going on with the Canada soccer business because it's, it's not great to see with the amount of success that both of our men's and women's national teams are having. And, of course, the women have a World Cup to get ready for uh, July 20th to August 20th in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, of course, Peter joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline using that same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery at uh, 403-248-3344. Uh, this Thursday, it is the Cowboys wing-off. Uh, Pat Steinberg will be hosting Flames Talk live from the Cowboys Casino. We're giving away tickets yet uh, last week. Uh, it's all in support. It's the fifth annual wing-off, all in support of Kids Sport. Uh, it'll be running from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. We need your help finding YYC's ultimate wing champion, and that goes on Thursday. Uh, around the corner, we're going to hear from Jeff Blair. He joined the boys earlier on, uh, talking all things Blue Jays as they, uh, they're they into it now. Uh, they're into their third week now of, uh, of spring training, uh, planking on the Pittsburgh Pirates later on today at 11 a.m. We'll talk with Jeff Blair next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.